Hey, Kevin. Hey, Tim. We're reading a choose-your-own-adventure book today for the podcast. These are those books uh, that you might have read in the 90s and the 80s, where you can uh, really, the reader gets to decide where the story goes, and, and if they don't like where it went, say you got crushed or killed, you can thumb back to the previous page and make a different choice. Uh, that, I think, though, grinds my gears a little bit. Oh, yeah? It's too close to an, an abort button in a movie with an ICBM on its way. You abort the you know missile and it explodes. Those don't really exist, and they shouldn't exist in kids' books either. Uh, Tim, I think you're being super critical. Welcome to another episode of the Super Critical Podcast, where we delve into the fun and oftentimes nonsensical way pop culture portrays nuclear weapons. My name is Tim Westmeyer, someone who studies nuclear weapons and works on nuclear nonproliferation for a living. I'm joined in the podcast studio today, slash my kitchen, with returning special guest, Kevin. You may remember Kevin from our previous episodes on Weird Al Yankovic's Christmas at Ground Zero, the Nuclear War card game. And the episode we did on Back to the Future. Kevin, welcome back. Thank you for bringing me back to the podcast. <laughs> well, you and I are almost uh, pretty close to being neighbors here. So you may uh, pop on to the episodes uh, a lot more now because you don't have the excuse of the commute. Yeah, well, uh, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> and we're doing this in person here. So we're wearing masks uh, in my kitchen table. So hopefully, this I think the sound sounds pretty good. But uh, we'll see how it ends up turning out in post. But I'm, I'm sure it's going to be okay. How does my mask sound, Tim? Very, very good, Bane. Very good. So instead of our usual movie TV discussion, we decided to start off 2022 by getting cultured, reading a book. But nothing fancy like, you know, nuclear war and peace or anything. But one of those choose-your-own-adventure story books that were really popular with kids in the 80s and the 90s, including Kevin and me, sold over 260 million copies, Jeez. 230 different titles in 40 languages across those two decades. Made it the fourth highest selling kids book series during that time around the world, largely written for seven to 14 year olds, uh, not you know people in their 30s. But these readers, when you're faced uh, with different kind of forks in the road during the story, you can make a choice A or choice B, and then flip to that page and continue kind of a splintered, different kind of journey. And sometimes the endings are fun, sometimes they're sad, sometimes your character gets crushed by a rock, sometimes they win the day. So this particular book um, that we're going to talk about today uh, has 20 different endings, so we'll see how that goes. You know, I bet you if there was some Harry Potter fan fiction, <laughs> uh, choose-your-own-adventure novels, that would just own everything. Well, you can get that for your wife. Well, her birthday's coming up. Perfect, so. perfect, hey. perfect. Uh, so these, just before we dive into the particular book, uh, a little bit more background on these. These books were invented by an American author, Edward Packard. Uh, he read a bunch of uh, different stories that he was kind of thinking about with, for his kids. And his kids always wanted different endings every night when he was telling them the stories. So he decided, I should write these down and came up with the idea. And he teamed up with an author, R.A. Montgomery, who wrote many other choose-your-own-adventure books and the genre was born. Kevin, what is your kind of connection to these books? Did you read these a lot as a kid? You know, I, I remember reading several of them. Probably around fourth grade, I, I think I have the most distinct foggy memories of mm. doing this. So I, I can't really recall which titles I had read, but uh, back then I was a real sponge for books. I, I 
probably read dozens of Goosebump books, had them all shoved into shoeboxes, which is funny because I was thinking a lot about Goosebumps lately because of the uh, the new web game Wordle. Mm-hmm. And you know my one my one main strategy there is knock out the RST LNE uh, <laughs> just like uh, Wheel of Fortune. And so every time I think about that, I think about R.L. Stein. And so every day I do my Wordle, I think of Goosebumps. So those are the books that I read a lot of when I was younger. And uh, Choose Your Own Adventures were definitely some fun ones that I did read back then. Oh, I, I'm fully on board too with the the Goosebumps. I think I was fortunate my my folks said i couldn't have money for video games and things but i would always be able to they could buy me a book so i would always get the money for scholastic as a kid like you can always have the the book fairs which is where i got a lot of my choose your own adventure books which they you know they didn't know that but these books (laughs) kind of operate like a video game you know you Mm. make choices uh there's pictures so maybe that was just what i deluded myself with when i was a kid yeah that's fun but much like everything in the 1980s of course there was a nuclear war plot for one of these books. The publisher Bantam Books put out a book with a nuke plot in 1987, and it's called The Brilliant Dr. Wogan. It was written by the previously mentioned R.A. Montgomery, and um, I'll let Kevin read you the book jacket description here. The Brilliant Dr. Wogan. This book is different from other books. You and you alone are in charge of what happens in this story. There are dangers choices, adventures, and consequences. You must use all of your wits and much of your exceptional intelligence. A wrong decision could end in disaster, even death. But don't despair. At any time, you can go back and make another choice, alter the path of your story, and change its result. Your mentor and direct boss, the brilliant scientist Diana Wogan, has disappeared. Several of her most recent inventions are missing, too. One of them, a radiation neutralizer, could change the balance of world power overnight. A country with the atom bomb and a neutralizer would be safe from outside attack. They could ransom the planet. Dr. Wogan's plan was to put a neutralizer into the hands of every country, making the whole world safe. Unfortunately, it seems like someone else has very different ideas. Dot, dot, dot. So let's see if we can solve this one, right? This book got a 3.5 rating on Goodreads. Uh, don't know how to interpret that, but I always do some sort of, you know, Rotten Tomatoes rating. Seem like this is something. That's not, you know, an average book, uh, but I'm not sure who's rating these things. If they're, I don't know if it's 7 to 14 year olds that are on Goodreads. What's it? That, is that out of 5? Yeah, I think so. Okay. If it was out of 10, I'd be really concerned, but that could just be a bunch of, uh, you know, grumpy millennials that uh, yeah. are just recalling their, you know, awkward childhood years and not so fondly maybe they never were able to beat the book mm. yeah one more interesting fact maybe possibly interesting it's interesting to me so the author of this book r.a montgomery he started off as a publisher in the 1970s kind of based in the vermont area one of the first books he published under a company that he started called vermont crosswords press in 1978 was a book by on an author named doug Kierman, and it was called the three megaton gamble And apparently Tierman had some military experience during the Cuban Missile Crisis, loved to write uh, very, you know, military thrillers and other things. And he wrote several future Choose Your Own Adventure books. So this guy who wrote this book, clearly this is something of interest to him. (laughs) So two questions I have as we dive into the book here. Uh, Kevin and I will kind of take turns reading the book. I don't think it's very long, so we'll see how it goes. 
Uh, we'll inject our own kind of flavor into it, so we hopefully don't violate any sort of you know rights books. This is from a, a pretty old book, but uh, we're adding our own commentary to it, so it's fair use, guys. Don't no, don't at me. Um, but two questions I have for us today is one. Is nuclear war a good content or theme for a kid's book in the 1980s? How well do they pull this off if you were a kid and, and you were, you know, seeing nuclear war in the news and now you're reading a book about it? How does how well does that kind of translate here? And two, what solutions might this atomic radiation neutralizer have for us as we try to solve all real life problems with nuclear weapons? Uh, Kevin, do you want to get started here? Do you want me to start uh, with this? We'll do a couple of endings. Maybe we'll go back and forth. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, book's in your hand, so you do the reading. All right, I'll get us started here. And now, presenting a supercritical library reading. <laughs> there isn't a clue, not a trace. Dr. Wogan, the brilliant Wogan, is gone. The fat, stoop-shouldered official in the rumpled gray suit slams his pencil on the desk and sits down, not looking at anyone in the room. You glance around at the others. They are all silent. Then, without warning, you hear, there is only one person who can find D Diana Wogan and bring her back alive, if she is alive. We all know who I'm talking about here. You. Come here. The man in the gray suit points at you, Kevin. <clears throat> you are the youngest scientist ever to be a member of the world-famous Delta Group, a research team dedicated to global peace. It's made up of people from both the small and powerful countries, Dr. Wogan is the head of the group, and you are her right-hand assistant. The year is 2043, and rogue nations and terror groups have been threatening the use of nuclear weapons for more than 40 years. Dr. Wogan has concentrated her research on a device that neutralizes radiation. Just think, she has often said to you, we could make the nuclear weapons powerless if this device works. But Dr. Wogan, you replied recently, in the wrong hands, the radiation neutralizer could hold the world hostage. One group or country could be safe from attack, but the rest of the world wouldn't be. I know, she said. That is why I must hurry to finish the device and give it to the entire world so that everyone could have it. Uh, turn to page eight. This is how this is going to work. The day after that conversation, Dr. Wogan disappeared. She probably was kidnapped by someone or some group who wanted the plans for the device but there is a chance that she has gone into hiding to work in safety. Now you in Delta Group Conference Room B, ooh, I know what life is like in conference rooms all day, in research complex just south of London, you sit there. You don't protest when the official calls you forward. They would never take no for an answer. And besides, as Dr. Wilkins' assistant, you probably are the most qualified to search for the genius. You rise slowly from your chair and walk towards the front of the room. You place yourself at attention in front of the man in the gray suit. So, he says, you know how important this job is. Without Diana Wogan, the work of the last 11 years, the hope of millions of souls, hundreds of millions of souls, and maybe life as we know it on this planet will be lost. L-O-S-T, forever. It's sad that we as humans have gotten to the point where so much depends on one person, but we have to bring her back alive. Remember, there are many foreign agents about her, after her and her plans. You won't be alone in your search for Dr. Wogan. Turn to page 87. Kevin, would you like to take over? Sure. Let's solve this thing. It's like a, like a little escape room in a book. <laughs> uh.
Your only clue to Dr. Wogan's whereabouts is that she had an island retreat in the Aegean Sea off the coast of Turkey. That is one well-funded scientist, if I may <laughs> say so myself. The name of the island is Boscada. The closest city on the mainland is Kanakale. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but oh well. <laughs> Three days later, you have reached Kanakale. A poster on the stone wall of a church in a square immediately catches your attention. There's a picture of a woman on the poster. It's Dr. Wogan! It's her! You shout. Slowly, you translate the poster with the aid of a Turkish phrase book. Or, I suppose these days, a cell phone with Google Lens? Uh, maybe. Or, you know, talking to someone. Or, you know, exactly. A lot, of, a, lot of the, a lot of the world speaks English. We don't always speak the other languages, but hey. <laughs> Good to have options. It says, special appearance of Zabil, the great fortune teller, March 9th, 10.30 p.m. Place to be announced. Sign up at the Hotel Christos. Hmm. It's now 4.30 p.m. Is the poster a sign meant especially for your eyes? Is the sign from Dr. Wogan or from those against Dr. Wogan? Turn to page 94. So it, yeah, this is quite a quite a thing. If they're hoping that you you see this picture here, and I'm not sure what those against Dr. Wogan would do if they you know put a picture of her up, but we'll we'll have to see. This is really quite a mystery we have so far here, Kevin. Hmm. Yes, indeed. As you stare at the poster, a faint wind carrying the smell of rosemary and oregano sifts through the air. A middle-aged man slips on a cobblestone and bumps into you. Hmm. Pardon me. He murmurs while slipping a piece of paper into your hand. He moves off. The paper says, Take the next ferry to the island of Boscada. You will be contacted. Beware of the lighted steps. Dr. Wogan lives, but there is a great danger. What now, you wonder? Should you trust this stranger? Ooh, Tim, we're <laughs> at our first choice. Oh, this is a big one. So what's what do we here? What do we got for our choices here? If you decide to go to Boscada by ferry, turn to page five. If you decide to stay for the meeting with Zabil, turn to page seven. And we're on page ninety-four right now. Yeah, it, it just jumps back and forth. The ending could be on page three. You know, yep. they they jump back and forth, and they all lived happily ever after. Yeah. She was, she was just uh, at a spa close oh, yeah. by, getting her nails did. Right. So, what do you want to do? Do you want to? Do you feel like you want to get nautical and get on a boat, or do you want to stay for the show? I'm on a boat and I'm finding Wogan, and then I'm <laughs> gonna save the world from the nuclear program. Um, How can we not get on a boat after that? So let's do that. <laughs> okay. I, I will admit, though, this is quite a lengthy note. This guy really had to have known you were coming, and, you know, the I wonder pen, if it was... Penmanship I wonder what is exquisite. I was just about to say, I wonder how his penmanship was. Maybe he typed it on an old-fashioned typewriter. Well, eating various things that smell like rosemary. <laughs> yes, and oregano. Maybe he's a chef. Dr. Wogan's chef? We'll find out later. Okay, so we are going to Boscada. Let's get on this boat. On page five. And back we go. I was just on a ferry. Uh, like, I don't know, like last month, we, we took the ferry from uh, New Jersey to Delaware. Oh, so if this, I hope this helps. Like, I hope I can bring something to this with real life experiences other than just the nuke stuff. Ooh, okay, well, let's see how this compares with your experience, Tim. 
Uh, actually, you go ahead and read. All right. Uh, ooh, we got a picture here of uh, some a shifty looking guy. You know, a sailors kind of a combo sailors af- outfit slash uh, you know dinner jacket. <laughs> Maybe he's French. Counting coins. He's yeah, got a striped striped shirt on. The ferry for Boscada is an old boat, grimy, with years of service. Barnacles and seaweed cling to its hull. It sloshes up and down in the gentle swell of the Aegean. One way or return, asked the man selling tickets in surprisingly good English. Return, I hope, you reply. As you wish, he murmurs, handing you your ticket. The ferry does not depart for two hours. When it at last chugs away from Kanaktekel, you survey the other passengers. There are six of them. Turn to page 18. Mm, Who could these six strangers be? Well, these six passengers are spread throughout the small cabin, each taking a seat near one of the windows. You have been traveling for several hours when one of them, a young woman dressed in a yellow rain slicker, motions to you with a nod of her head and a slight movement of her hand. She repeats the movement and looks aft, out towards the deck, by the stern of the ferry. Then she gets up and leaves the cabin. You are about to rise and follow her when a man, middle-aged and well-dressed in a suit and a tweed overcoat, attracts your attention by dropping a pen. He bends to pick it up and, while rising, gently shakes his head looks at the figure of the woman who is now out on the deck and mouths the word no. If you decide to ignore the man's warning and go out onto the deck and talk to the woman, turn to page 21. If you decide to take the man's advice and not follow the woman, go to page 92. But what do their eyes say, Tim? What do their eyes say? (laughs) I'm looking, looking, looking. It doesn't have any pictures of eyes. I think we have to read between the lines here. Late 80s, where's the trust for women versus men in suits? (laughs) Hmm. I mean, clearly she thought ahead. She's on the ocean and she's wearing a yellow rain suit, but is she hiding, is she concealing, I don't know, weapons under there? Or or is he, does he have a, a... I don't know, a sword cane that he's carrying. Who's the more dangerous of the two? Can you really trust a man in tweed? Hmm. Depends on the tweed. (laughs) All right, Kevin. Decision time. Uh, follow the, the lady in yellow or the, the dude in tweed? I want to say follow the, la- follow the lady in yellow. All right. Lady in yellow it is. Go to page 21. Ooh, that's a good page. Oh, this is beautiful. Oh, this picture does not look good. Uh-oh. Rising slowly to accommodate the swell of the waves, you ignore the frowning man and move outside the cabin. You've never trusted a man in tweed ever since your father... Lost his car, stolen by a man in tweed. Oh, I'd rather that. Uh, Oddly specific. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Can I add that part? Um, <laughs> a moist and salty sea breeze greets you. It has already grown dark. The woman sitting next to the rail doesn't look at you. You take a position next to her. Both of you stare off into the plume of white foam streaming behind the ferry. Finally, she speaks. You are in great danger. I am the only friend of yours on this boat. Beware of the others. Stay close to me and speak to no one. Dr. Wogan awaits. She still doesn't look at you. You have no opportunity to read what's in her eyes, truth Mm. or lies. There goes your answer. Mm -hmm. Can't look in the eyes. Who were the others, you ask? 
your enemies, yours, and Dr. Wogan's, and the world's. I can say no more. It is not important anyway. You remember the note. It said you'd be contacted, but it did not say where or when. Is this the woman that you're contact, or is the man who dropped the pen? Turning to page 19. Out of the corner of your eye, you become aware of the movement inside the cabin. Two men are tiptoeing towards the door, leading to the aft deck. You start to warn the woman that the men are coming, but suddenly you notice the glint of light on a metal object in the woman's hands. Mm. Your heart is racing. Is the knife intended for the men, or is it intended for you? Whew, that picture I mentioned earlier has a lady sitting there with a knife behind her back. Mm. All right, now we have another decision to make pretty quickly here. Do we warn the woman that the men are coming, or do we jump ship and swim for the island? Ooh. Can we see the island, though? I don't know. I'm not that strong a swimmer. Uh, in the picture, we you can only see the... Yeah, you can only see. see this. Let me see the picture. Okay, does this help? This is good podcast material here. Ooh, okay. Ah, uh, yes. So you're both leaning against a railing. She's got the knife concealed behind her back. You see the... The trail of the waves behind you, the wake of the boat. Yep. Mm. Is she crossing her fingers? <laughs> uh, no, I see no finger crossing here. I think we want to warn the woman that the, the men are coming. I think I, I, I'm feeling trustworthy. She's got yellow jacket, like ring jacket on. Uh, our coasters for today for our drinks are is Curious George, you know, the man in the yellow hat. I'm just feeling like this is a good sign. See, now I'm suddenly, I'm suddenly second-guessing my decision to follow her because maybe she's just wearing that rain slicker to, uh, to protect her clothing from the splash of your blood. <laughs> um, and how would she know that those men, why would she have the knife if... Uh, I don't know, Tim. If you're if you're feeling trustworthy of the blade wielding uh, stranger, then <laughs> let's go. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going for it. Let's do that. Uh, page twenty-two. They're coming for us. You whisper loudly. Is that loud enough? They're coming for us. You whisper loudly. One of those takes I'll use. Let them come, she says. The cold tone of her voice frightens you. The two men have reached the deck. They split up. One taking the port side, and the other the starboard side. Slowly moving in on the two of you. Okay, don't move, or you'll force me to do something we'll all regret, says the smaller of the two men. He holds a blunt-nosed revolver. The other man fingers a gleaming stiletto. You back up. It's not a shoe, Tim. (laughs) You back up, praying for a miracle. The woman laughs and points the shiny metal object at them. Go to page 36. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. A fine mist shoots out and envelops the two men. They are immediately turned into laughing, giggling, friendly people. The short one flings his revolver over the side of the ferry as though it were an unwanted and loathsome thing. The man with the knife drops it in the water. Now you will both sit down on the deck and wait until dawn. Is that understood? The woman says to the two of them. Yes, sure, why not? They answer almost in unison. What now, you ask her? We wait until we dock. Then you either return to the mainland because, wisely, you fear for your life, or you throw in with us. We can't spend time with the faint-hearted. This is serious business, and personal safety and survival are of little importance. Dr. Wogan has spoke highly of you, and thanks to you, she has just managed to escape a band of thieves in Kananakale. They were distracted by your arrival and wanted to follow you. Soon, the ferry docks and the landing ramp bumps into place. 
The two men are under the effect of the gas. The woman looks at you, waiting, Kevin, for your decision. If you decide to stay aboard the ferry and return to the mainland to work out a plan or to get help, turn to page 44. If you decide to land and go to Dr. Wogan, turn to page 102. I think we're in it. Yeah. We're in it now. We're fully committed. I'm very curious where the gas came from that uh, affected these two men coming after her. I think it was out of her out of her knife. So she's got one of those uh, gas knives. I wonder if it's also a lighter. <laughs> okay. All right. To, to 102 and to Dr. Wogan. I'm game. Let's go, you say to the woman. Once on the dock, you follow her, but within minutes you are surrounded by a group of workers in blue overalls. They grab you, thrust you in a large wheelbarrow, cover you with burlap sacks, and hurriedly move off the dock. You hear a shout, a woman's voice. Then all is quiet. You choke on the gag in your mouth and struggle against crude handcuffs of twisted wire. As soon as you free your hands, you remove the gag. Just as you start to break out of the burlap bag, you are grabbed roughly and lifted into a van or truck. Nobody will ever know which it is. (laughs) If you fight and lose, your captors will retie your hands. But if you wait, who knows where they'll take you in the van. Oh, so now they're certain it's a van. Okay. If if you're like my toddler, everything is uh, van, truck, car. It's all just car. (laughs) Uh, Car. On a related note, uh, one of the great children's books that I really appreciate these days is Car, Car, Truck, Jeep. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, have you any fuel? Go check it out for your little ones. All right. If you decide to put up a fight, turn to page 59. If you wait to see what happens, turn to page 65. Okay. Well, well these people don't seem to be part of the the knife-wielding lady group, right? They seem to be somewhat different. Maybe they're just mm. an untrustworthy element of her group, and they're bringing her to Dr. Wogan. Yeah, I mean, at first I would have suspected that maybe this was a way to conceal your presence and simultaneously yeah. keep Dr. Wogan safe in case you happen to be some sort of double agent or anything like that. But the fact that the woman shouts and then becomes yep. silent, yeah. And I don't have any raincoats uh, things to you know fall back on in terms of trust, so I don't know who to trust here. They don't seem to be wearing raincoats. Well, we're already in the van, so I mean, we don't know if the woman's in there with us. If we fight now, we could get out and maybe find the woman, but we're going to be hurried away quickly in the yep. van. So what do you think? Well, we've so far been pretty trusting. Maybe we should either continue the trust train or uh, derail it. Mm. Uh, my instinct is to fight. Okay. Fisticuffs it is. Going to page 59. <laughs> well, we might be backtracking. <laughs> I got our first uh, game over. This might be my last chance, you say to yourself, struggling as hard as you can against your captors. You kick, butt with your head, and swing your hands and arms in a wide arc, hoping to strike anyone enraged. Calm down. No one is going to hurt you, commands a firm and familiar voice. Ooh, that was a very commanding and firm voice. That was very good. We had to make it look realistic, grabbing you the way we did. But we're not your enemy. Tell me another, you reply. One of the men steps forward and strips off a plastic mask. It's not a man at all. Dr. Wogan, you shout, amazed and happy to find your mentor. Correct. Now let's get out of here. By the way, this is my daughter, she says, motioning to the young woman from the boat. Oh. The end. We learn literally nothing about the nuclear plot of this story by ending here. Huh. Yeah, that's very unsatisfying. Hmm. Okay. So we found her. I guess that was our ultimate goal, was to find the brilliant Dr. Wogan. And now we find out she's got a daughter who is 
a brilliant actor, actress. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Let's uh, round back the clock and see what happens if we just, I guess, didn't do anything, right? If we didn't fight back, then we'd just be taken to right. where we'd, I feel like this train is going to the same station regardless of what we do here. Well, let's we could take a peek. Let's let's see a quick peek because I'm super curious because normally it'd be one or the other here. Uh, all right, so if we just stayed and didn't fight, now we're at this point now. So instead of fighting, uh, then we're finding out who Doctor Wogan that she's there. Let's try this one. The van is moving on a bumpy road. You wait until things have been quiet for a while, then summoning all your strength and energy, you kick out of the burlap sack. With an enormous lurching thrust, your hands fly up, ready to strike anyone. Yow! You shout. There is no one in the back of the van. You are alone. The van looks completely empty. Then you notice something peculiar. On the floor of the van lies a book. A bookmark of red leather is stuck in it. There is no title on the cover or spine. As you are examining the book, the rear door swings open as the van hits a bump. Do we want to open up the book, or do we want to forget the book and prepare to jump? Well, we're obviously going to open the book, because yeah. uh, we're, we're sticking to it now. Yeah, let's do it. Curiosity has always been one of your strong points, or so you thought. The book was placed or dropped next to the burlap sack is too tempting to ignore. It must have been put there for a reason. You open to the pages where the bookmark rests. Reading quickly, you guess that it is a translation of an old folktale. It tells of a powerful leader who overcomes evil for the good of the people. The leader is constantly being chased, attacked, and harassed by gangs and groups of the evil and the corrupt. The story sounds surprisingly familiar. You wonder how the book got there and what it means. The story then tells of a dangerous period when the leader escapes to a remote island. As you read on, you begin to realize the story is actually what has been just happening. It ends successfully because of the return and help of a young, trusted associate. You gasp in amazement. There on the page is your own name, Kevin. Oh, crazy. The date of the story is today. You drop the book, suddenly frightened. Somehow you have gotten your hands on a book from the future. You know, aside from the radiation neutralizer, Dr. Wogan was working on experiments in time travel. Huh. You wonder if Dr. Wogan had a hand in this. The van bumps along the road, leading you to your destiny. Whatever it happens to be is clearly beyond your control. The end. Ooh, Tim, okay. This is suddenly jogging the memory. This I forgot about these meta situations where you find the book that you are reading. The choose your own adventure book uh, within the story. It's very self-aware. Apparently there are some that you have, like there are endings that you would have to cheat to find. Mm. And apparently it's like every, in a lot of the books, there's like a UFO ending. <laughs> you have to flip through the book to see it, but there's no way to get to it. Oh. It doesn't send you there. Or they have some that are, you're lost. Do you take a left or a right? Turn to page 47. And then it just puts you in a loop. <laughs> and you, just can't, you can't get out of it. Uh, okay. Fun. So we haven't gotten into anything nuke-wise uh, on here yet. But I, a real I, twist here about time travel yeah okay so let's pick another point to go back to do we want to go back all the way before we got on the ferry i think we need to go figure out what the fortune teller has to say go to page 94 because apparently there are some endings here that are like world ending or you know someone gets hands on the neutralizer those are the ones the juicy ones that we really want to get to 
Uh, so let's let's change this back up a little bit here. Yeah, page 94 was where we split between going to the ferry versus going to the fortune teller. Excellent. So let's stay to meet with the fortune teller. All right, so everybody's following along. Hopefully this is making sense at home. We have decided not to go on to the ferry because we know where that leads, at least for now, to some sort of, I guess, good ending with time travel. I mean, we haven't died yet, so... We'll see how this goes. Okay, um, there's a picture here. Uh, I will describe it to you. It appears to be a marketplace. There's, uh, in the background, we see townspeople, uh, you know, looking at sea fresh seafood and such, and uh, staring straight at us from the middle of the picture is either an old woman with a handbag <laughs> or Sir Ian McClellan in a disguise. <laughs> the square is filled with people. The man who bumped into you has been absorbed into the crowd of busy people on market day. He is nowhere to be seen. Well, here I go, you say. The island can wait for another day. What's that? An old woman asks, staring up at you out of a wrinkled face with milky blue eyes. Ian McKellen's got range. Ooh, yeah, and glaucoma, apparently. (laughs) Nothing, nothing. I was just talking to myself, you reply. The woman stares at you for a few more moments, and then she, too, is gone, swallowed up by the crowd of market-goers. The sun is fading in the late afternoon sky, and the air is growing cool. You pull your jacket tight, zip it up, and look for the Hotel Christos. The Hotel Christos, an old stone building with thick oaken doors, sits across from the church. You take a deep breath and enter the hotel. It is dark and gloomy inside. You have a feeling this isn't an ordinary hotel. A very small man dressed in a fancy scarlet uniform meets you with an unusually loud voice. May I be of service? Yes, you reply. I want to sign up for Zabil's show. Oh, so you want to see the great Zabil perform? I might have known. Be careful, the ceiling is low and the steps are uneven. He leads you. Oh, (laughs) He leads you toward the back of the dark lobby. I, I don't know if I can trust this person simply because of the inflection and tone you put into <laughs> it. It really is changing and influencing my decisions here. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, we still don't have a choice whether to follow him, so we are going to follow him. And now there's a picture of a windy staircase, what appears to be a stone building, but it looks like it's turning from a stone building to some sort of modern construction. Is it, is it, is it, oh, we're talking, we're talking marble? Uh, what are we talking here? Well, that looks like old stone, but then it gets very smooth and industrial looking with what appears to be like steel girders on the ceiling and very smooth, even steps going down. So this seems uncharacteristic of the Hotel Christos that we just entered. But but wait, uh, Dr. Wogan was working on becoming a master in masonry <laughs> just before she did it. Something about it was it was nukes, it was time travel, and it was masonry. Ooh, before. is she is are we entering a secret Masonic temple or something? Something. I don't know. Hmm. All right, let's get into okay, this. Okay, back to it. Silently, a stone wall slides open on gleaming metal hinges, revealing a stainless steel spiral staircase. A greenish light comes from below, and a cool current of air blows up the steps. You hesitate. Go ahead. Have no fear, says the small man. This time, his voice is no more than a faint whisper. It takes several minutes to descend the stairs. At last, you reach the source of the green light. It comes from a cave-like room of solid rock. The light is generated by a bank of computer monitors. 
Three people huddle over the central screen. They straighten up at the sound of your approach. Yeah, that that really takes me back to the uh, the green scale CRTs of the eighties and nineties. I got a I got a little Doctor Strange love out of that when Doctor Strange love is talking about uh could easily be accomplished with a computer. Uh, this is where, where my headspace is at currently. <laughs> And I, I like how they go from a, an old stone building to a stainless steel staircase to a cavernous computer room. A murmuring sound, not quite music, fills the room. That's Dr. Wogan's sound. You think startled. <laughs> Dr. Wogan has a sound? That's impressive. Is she a robot? Beep, boop, beep, boop, pop. Many times when you were Dr. Wogan's assistant, she would close her eyes, sit upright with her arms and legs crossed, and emit a sound just like the one you are hearing. It is a sound made during meditation. The sound, OM, repeated over and over again. Is Dr. Wogan making the sound? If so, where is she? Is she working here? It's just as likely she's being held captive. Here is one who is brave enough to meet Zabil. Will this one do? The dwarf asks. <laughs> the Whoa. dwarf? Whoa, when did we land in Middle Earth? Yes, perfectly, replies the figure in the center of the, with a knowing grin. Prepare our visitor. Will you come now? You are asked. Boy, a lot just suddenly happened there. If you decide to go with them and investigate the sounds on the way, turn to page 12. If you try to escape because you think this may be a setup, turn to page 30. Hmm. Well, I, I don't think it's one of these things that we can always just believe now that Dr. Wogan's on the island, so that's obviously not her. I, I think they can. she can be in multiple places. It's a multiverse, potentially, right. situation here. Well, because we didn't head over to the uh, the ferry, maybe she's got a speedboat and she came back from, yeah. with, I don't know, Bazinga or whatever, Bazooka... <laughs> Boscada. 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 So I, I, I mean, my instinct is is that they're bringing her to Doctor Wogan. I don't know. What do you think they're trying to teach kids here? Hmm. Like a lot of a lot of trusting decisions here are basically going wherever adults tell them to go. What are we trying to learn here? That could be another angle to look at as we're trying to sort through this. I feel like it might be trying to teach them whether or not they should trust short people. I mean, because this this this. Short-statured man is now suddenly a dwarf. Started yeah. off high-pitched and now very whispery. I and, mean... and one of the guys on the boat with the gun, I think, was they were described as a short guy. Short guys are just mean, uh, evil people in this Ooh. universe. Well, as a tall person, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I worry about short people, but uh, <laughs> I don't fear them. I don't, I don't know, man, Kevin. Uh, I made the last big decision about uh, whether or not to tell the person about the knife uh, or the knife lady telling yeah. her about the, the men attacking. Uh, what do you want to do here? I, if we run, we might trip on the stairs. I mean, at this point, we're, we don't have much choice. Or traction on our shoes. Or traction. Those stainless steel steps could be very <laughs> slippery. I, they, they did not look like they had any sort of cutouts or, or anything like that. So I say we keep going. Okay. We're going to investigate the ohm. So what page are we in here? We are on page 90, and we could either follow the noise and go to page 12, or try to escape to page 30. I say we go. Okay. Go. Keep going. Page 12. Dr. Wogan once told you that sound currents connected all things in the universe. Some sounds could be used for good. Other sounds created evil. 
Now that you think back to those days in Dr. Wogan's labs and testing grounds, you recall the presence of soothing sound. Lead on, you hear yourself say in a distant voice, almost as if you were hearing a recording of your voice played in a tunnel. You feel yourself drifting. You are relaxed, able to see clearly, but unable to think quickly or normally. You are led away. I'm hypnotized, you say aloud, but your voice is a mere whisper. Turn to page 95. If I had the book in, in my hands, I would also turn to page 95. You, you've hypnotized me here. <laughs> the murmuring increases in intensity until it reverberates so intensely you feel as though you were in a huge pinball machine being bounced back and forth and back and forth by the murmuring sound of waves. I must wake up. Immobilizing blackness slips into your shoes and floods upward through your body until only your head is above it. Tell us what you know of Dr. Wogan. What? You manage to gasp. You know what, the voice replies. We have spies who tracked you from the moment you left Delta Group offices in London. We want information. Now tell us all you know. Maybe if you tell them a little, they'll let down their guard and you can find a way to escape. On the other hand, if you pretend to pass out, you could buy some time while telling them nothing. If you decide to tell what you know, turn to page 31. If you pretend to pass out, turn to page 32. Are we going to play cowards? I don't, I'm still trying to get into the character, you know? Like, do we, do we feel like our person is a bit of a coward? I mean, they seem like they go, they make brave decisions here and there, but, like, at this point now, what, what would, what would the, what is this, what would your method be for this one? It's really hard to say, because I feel like there's not, we're not going to be able to instantly reverse our condition and the sounds, and obviously these sounds are being used for evil, but we're trying to protect on and save Dr. Wogan. So Mm -hmm. to immediately give them anything is dangerous. Even if we don't know anything, I feel like, I feel like we need to learn more about the situation. But then again, we're not bound or anything yet that I'm aware of. We're still operating under our own physical will. Well, it's very interesting. It's like they hypnotize you, right? But you either can tell them what you know or you can pretend to pass out, which I guess neither of those is necessarily very brave yeah. outcomes here. Um, we could, we what could, do you think? We could try to pass out and you know go fetal uh, okay. and, and see see what they do. Okay, let's see. Then they will have to carry you. It's <laughs> a nice little nap. Rockabye and good night. Go to sleep, little scientist. Tell us more about the dog. When you wake up from your sleep. Dr. Wogan is my only, you say, your voice trailing off until it's inaudible. You slump against the wall and slip to the floor with a bone-jarring thud. Your eyes roll. You drool. You speak garbled words. It's only half play-acting. Since you have hit your head hard when you fell, at least the sudden movement released you from your hypnotic trance. Ooh, it's got quite a picture here of, uh, you know, could be either a man or a woman falling falling down and kind of passed out on the floor. So the room spins, the light intensifies, your head begins to clear, but you pretend to remain only semi-conscious. Your eyes open, 
millimeter by millimeter, surveying the room through your eyelashes. It's empty. You sit up. They're gone. You sigh in relief. You feel your arms and legs, your head, your hands. Everything seems all right. You stagger to your feet and begin an investigation of the surrounding area. A door in the stone wall attracts your attention. To your surprise, it opens. Turning to page 16. Oh, this is a character here. A smartly dressed, middle-aged man steps into the room. Come now, my good friend. You have had a bad time of it. Let's leave these dreary surroundings and see if you and I can have a pleasant little talk. Follow me. This is, uh... Dr. Bane? <laughs> looks a little... Uh, how would you describe this individual here? Is oh, pretty... God. Um, he's got, like, a suit and a jacket on. He's got a he's... mean widow's peak. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I almost want to say uh, Joe Pesci circa all of Joe Pesci's crime movies and... You reply. You reply. Go get your shine box. <laughs> you follow a tunnel... From the subterranean chamber into a bright garden. The sun is at its zenith. Ooh, this is these are getting some SAT words in here. You wonder how much time has passed. The digital readout on your watch tells you it's noon. Dr. Wogan is with us, the man says. However, she is, how should I say it? She is sick, or rather incapacitated at the moment. Perhaps you can help her. How, you ask? suspiciously. Well, interpret these pages of hers, and we'll release her to you. Simple. No risk, the man says. He hands you a sheath of papers. You recognize it at once what it is. It is Dr. Wogan's plans for the unfinished radiation neutralizer. There we go. We're back on track Uh here. They are, however, missing important bits of information. How did you get these, you ask? We have our ways. The man lights a cigarette and blows smoke rings slowly in your direction. Help us with these papers. We must have the missing parts. Only then will Dr. Wogan be allowed to live. And you too. Dr. Wogan has warned you many times, has even made you swear, to protect the plans with your life. In the right hands, these plans mean peace. In the wrong hands, they mean slavery on a scale beyond your wildest imagination. Those had been some of the last words spoken to you by Dr. Wilgen before she disappeared. You stall for time. The man presses you to make a decision. You pretend, talk, beg, ridicule. You are desperate, but you will not yield. His threats do not frighten you. The plans are useless without your vital information. Time is on your side, and both of you know it. The end. So I guess you just don't Uh... do anything? I feel like there's a prologue there of body washes ashore. (laughs) Okay. Uh, What if we went back and told them what we know Hmm. instead of passing out? Where's the fortune teller? Where's the great Seville? I know. It's a bummer. It looks like this whole thing was a trick, right? All right. So we're going to go back in time here and tell them what we know. Ooh, maybe we have Dr. Wogan's machine. Maybe. I just want to blow something up. I want to blow something up with this. Uh, or not blow something up, depending on the, how the neutralizer works. I want to travel through time. I will give them just a little bit of information. Just enough to tantalize them, you decide. So, what do you want to know? The voice comes in 
from a corner of the room. We have Dr. Wogan, but she went into a trance. She will not communicate with us. We fear she will die, and we are helpless to prevent this. If she dies, she dies. Sorry. If she dies, it will be a tragic loss to the world. We can't let that happen. We know you are close to Dr. Wogan, and that you know about the radiation neutralizer. Help us. What do you want to know? Make her come out of the trance. We are a friendly, private peace group. We only want to help. She thinks we're thieves. She said she'd die before dealing with us. The voice pauses. Then it continues. What proof does she need of our good intentions? We only wish to protect her from the real thieves. We got to her just to protect her. Her and the world. There are greedy people out there who will do anything to get their hands on the only complete plans for the radiation neutralizer. If you know the final phases of the design, your life will be in danger. You'll be finished. But if you help us publicize the plans, then all of the world will have the neutralizer. That's the only way to ensure peace. Little, uh, little James Holden here from The Expanse. <laughs> you don't believe the man. There is no peace group, you say to yourself. They're crooks. Dr. Wogan once told you that in the event of serious trouble, you should pass out and lie on the floor. Oh, shoot. Ah, um, found just, a loop. Just kidding. Uh, no, I was just picking that up. Uh, <laughs> you were to do your best to return to a private laboratory and either destroy the plans or have the complete ones published yourself. Her greatest fear was that the plans would fall into the wrong hands. Why not publish them now, you ask? They're not finished, she had replied sadly. At the very least, you were never to give any help to Dr. Wogan if she were a prisoner. She preferred death to giving up the plans. But are you willing to have Dr. Wogan's death on your hands? Kevin, it's a hard choice that you're going to have to make here. If you decide to try to escape, turn to page 53. If you decide to try to get Dr. Wogan out of her trance and save her life anyway, turn to page 76. Well, I don't see this as being a death, her death on our hands. She's already made it abundantly clear what she wants, so I think we need to try to escape Okay. to page 53. Uh, what page was this that we're leaving from? Because I might want to come back and have something blow up. 49. All right. So we're going to try to escape. Yes. This is quite a conversation that you have. It's like, so by the way, I work in time travel stuff. Also help. This is a really, really important for world peace. Also, if I'm ever a prisoner, just like don't do anything to help. <laughs> let me die. Yeah. Let me. I mean, also, sometimes I trance. Um, it's like I would love to know. <laughs> <laughs> do you think Dr. Wogan ever did LSD? Uh, I mean, it's maybe where she came up with the idea for, you know, the <laughs> from the freak this guy out. I'm going to write a book about his life with time travel. Mm, yeah. This won't be easy, you say to the man. Dr. Wogan is strong, perhaps the strongest-willed person I have ever met. If she doesn't want to give information to you, nothing will get her out of the trance. But I will try. Perhaps she has misjudged you and your intentions. The man nods his head vigorously in agreement with your notion that Dr. Wogan may have misunderstood. Yes, yes, very good. We intend no harm, he says earnestly. We are anxious for the world to receive Dr. Wogan's great plans. That is all. We are for peace only. Dr. Wogan is in that room, he says, pointing, behind that green door. I must be alone with her, you say. The man nods agreement, stands back, and lets you pass. You don't like the looks of that man. He probably spells peace, G-R-E-E-D, you think. What? 
<laughs> right. All right, we've got another picture. I'll describe it. Uh, so we're trying to escape is what we're doing here, right? Yes. Which is interesting. Um, you move toward the door. Odd, you think to yourself, that you had not noticed the gr dull green metal door. Perhaps you were too frightened to be aware of your surroundings. Three steps, four, then two more, and you reach out and push. The door yields. Soon you will make your getaway. But when you enter the brightly lit room, you find that you are not alone. Before you are two figures. They stand with arms folded, feet wide apart, forming a barrier to someone behind them. Dr. Wogan. They look grim and dangerous. At that precise moment, Dr. Wogan gathers all her energy, all her great willpower, and creates a miniature explosion that terminates all beings in a radius of 12 feet. <laughs> you, of course, are included. The end. Okay, now Whoa, the picture. I did ask for something to explode. I didn't <laughs> mean it to be just me. <laughs> Dr. Wogan has got an incredible skill set here. So we got this picture of Dr. Wogan in a chair, looking, eyes almost rolling up back into her head, a, sh a menacing shadow of almost Medusa-like hairs sticking from her head, and two men behind her in suits, one protecting his face and the other one, I don't know, crying out for his mother maybe. And meanwhile, rings of electricity surround Dr. Rogan as she prepares, using her great willpower to create a miniature explosion <laughs> to terminate all beings in a radius of 12 feet, precisely. You know, you know what? We were worried about her blood and death on our hands. She didn't seem to be all that concerned with the fact that she just vaporized right. you know, us. You know what? Let's, let's go back to page 49. I, I'm breaking her out of this trance. She doesn't seem to be caring much for us. Why are we caring so much for her? Okay. Let's, uh, let's try to get her out of this trance here. All right, so we're going to go to 76 instead. Oh, wow, that is, a, that is a very different situation. Lead me to her, you say, trying to sound brave and confident. Your legs are like putty, your stomach like a cement mixer, your heart like a jackhammer. <laughs> Lead me to her. Dr. Wogan is sitting in a chair in the next room. Her face is composed. She looks younger and happier than at any point in time you've ever seen her. She looks fine to me, you say. Yes, but she's been this way for six weeks without food and water. She will die if she does not come out of the trance. She's in hibernation, you responded, but her pulse rate is almost non-existent. There is a way, there's a limit to how long even famous yogis who practice this strange art can go. I'm afraid of brain death. Turning to page 91... You approach Dr. Wogan, glad to see her, but worried you might have been making a mistake by trying to save her. Obviously, Dr. Wogan is frightened by these people and does not trust them. That explains the trance, you think. Dr. Wogan slowly moves her head. A look of wonder and sadness fills her eyes. As you lean over to her, she slides to the floor. You check her pulse. There is none. Dr. Wogan is gone. She takes her plans with her, except for what you know. Dr. Wogan has left you the enormous responsibility of being the sole caretaker of the radiation neutralizer. You look for a way out. There is none. The end. <laughs> so, yeah, so going down there is not good. No, no, that was a bad idea. That has not helped us in any particular way. 
Okay, so we're going to try one more here to try to get to a fun ending. Uh, so we're kind of back to where instead of getting on the ferry, we are now going to the, the hotel to go see the fortune teller. But instead of going down the steps with the person who's later described as a dwarf, we are going to try and escape because we think it might be a setup. Which it turns out it was. So now we are saying... You recall Dr. Wilgen's oft-repeated words. Escape is central to all planning. You must always have an alternate route. You know, classic things that scientists tend to say. Um, before taking one more step, you evaluate your options. The one thing that the small man forgot was to search you. Had he done so, he would have discovered three devices, all small and electronic, all harmless-looking but powerful tools nevertheless that might have been useful in some of the other situations that we found ourselves in later. Right. One of the devices is an action inhibitor designed by Dr. Wilgen to make an aggressor incapable of taking action without being harmed. Uh, another device is a energy minimizer, a radical new device intended to slow down all molecular activity. Bullets float, punches seem cushioned in a sponge, sound falls to pieces as, as if decaying. The device has never been used. The effects are long-term or unknown. It is a spin-off from the radiation neutralizer. The third device is somewhat something called a magnetic field reverser. Dr. Wilgen had just developed it, and you grabbed the model from her London lab before leaving. You're not sure what it does, but may or maybe not experiment it with it until you do. You slip your hand in your pocket, decide that you're going to pick a device and the best strategy. Which one do you want to use? The action inhibitor or the energy minimizer? Ooh, man. Now we're talking... Now we're cooking with gas. <laughs> uh, I want to go energy minimizer. That seems to be the way to go mm. on this one. You can't scare me. Dr. Wogan is too powerful for you. You're bluffing. I'm leaving. And if you try to prevent me or harm me, you will pay. Look at this and look at it carefully. You remove the energy minimizer from your pocket and display it. The small black object in your hands looks harmless, <laughs> but four people stare at it as if uh, it were alive and could bite you. I'm leaving now. I'm not kidding. Follow me, and it's your funeral. It kind of looks like a, like a like an early version of an iPod, or or like it's it's got a ring of buttons. Yeah, I was gonna say like what is that? The Microsoft Zune? Or, oh yeah, it looks a lot like the uh, the podcast recorder, the audio recorder. Yeah. <laughs> you mount the first rung of the stairs with your back to the three. You hear a sound. You stop. Slowly, you turn. You finger the energy minimizer. If you use it. Who knows what will happen to the people in the room, or to you for that matter, but if you don't use it, how will you escape? No one moves. Do we flip the switch on, or do we uh, turn up the stairs? Uh, we obviously turn the switch on. Okay. I warned you. Here it goes. You pointed at the group. You click the on button, and it reverberates in the room. You wait. At first, nothing seems to happen. Then one of the men slowly raises an arm, drawing a pistol from the narrow black belt clenched around his waist you realize it's in slow motion. It takes another minute for the person to raise the object, aim it, and fire. Wow, you're just standing there for a minute while somebody points a gun at you? <laughs> uh, yeah, it seems to be the case. The bullet burbles through the air, trum tumbling and waving. It falls to the ground and bounces like rubber. It melts into a million shimmering pieces, as if it's made from confetti. Try again, you say, taunting the group. Once again, a bullet is emitted from the muzzle of the weapon. It decays in mid-flight, drops harmlessly to the floor. Good old Dr. Wogan, you stare at the object in your hand. 
She's done it again. So she's made bullets uh, gone. That's a pretty good solution, too. I feel like they've under-emphasized uh, the other crazy technologies yeah. that Dr. Bogan has developed here. The, the neutralizer is just, just one of many. So it says that the effects are wearing off, so you run away. You push the force dial and the energy from plus two to plus eight. Oh, God. A familiar voice fills the chamber. No, no, it's too much, the voice yells. Dr. Wogan. Whoa. Okay, Dr. Wogan, you say. Frantically, you reduce the effect of the energy minimizer by returning the dial to plus two and then plus one. Okay. Where did she come from, and how did she see what setting it was on? There is a screeching, tearing sound as time and space collide for a fraction of a moment and then decay. The stone walls and ceiling floor open as the molecules lose their hold on one another. When one of the walls falls away, you see Dr. Wogan, a prisoner in the next room. Oh, hi! You and Dr. Wogan make your escape. The captors seem overpowered by what has happened and do not move to stop you. What now, Dr. Wogan? Back to London. We'll finish the radiation neutralizer there. It's probably safer. I'm tired from trying to hide from all these thieves. Everyone wants our plans, but they only want them for themselves. We'll give the plans to the world. That's freedom. The end? And the end, yeah. Wow, forget so, the uh, radiation neutralizer. I want the energy minimizer. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, let's go back to, instead of... Before the energy minimizer? Yeah, so let's run up the stairs. I think uh, this is going to lead to something oh, on fun page here. 14. Yeah, so we run up the stairs. Um, the four people stay still, but they must know about Dr. Wogan's inventions. You mount the stairs... There's a movement behind you. You start to run. They're after you. Oh, stop, someone shouts. You spin around and aim the energy minimizer at them. But to your horror, you uh, shouldn't have had all of those butterfingers earlier. It slips from your grasp and clatters down the staircase, starting to a stop on the floor of the chamber. Give up the yell. You look up towards the top of the stairs, feeling for one of the other two devices. Relying on instinct, that's what Dr. Wogan would do. Do you run for it, or do you grab one of the other devices? Other devices. How many of these can tear apart this fabric <laughs> of space-time? You reach for the action inhibitor and grab the magnetic field reverser instead. Uh-oh. There's a first time for everything, I guess. But the on-off button sticks. It won't move. Was this Dr. Wogan's way of protecting you? What if the magnetic field reverser is too powerful to be used? Do we force the switch, or do we try to... Uh, try on the other device. Force it. Desperately, you work the switch. Suddenly, it slides to the on position. The magnetic field reverser goes to immediate effect. There is a massive shuddering sound and a vibration so unsettling, you frantically try to return the switch to off. You do not succeed. Kevin, would you like to read us what happens on page 100? <laughs> Oh, there's a lovely picture. From the outer edge of the Milky Way galaxy, a lone technician in an orbital heavens observatory notes the sudden disappearance of a minor planet from the scanning screen. The end. <laughs> and in the image is a very large, round-eyed, bald-headed alien in a space suit of some sort at a console with a heads-up display uh, showing a planet exploding uh there's a little a little alien bobblehead 
uh, <laughs> on the on the dash there. And yeah, so the Orbital Heavens Observatory has witnessed the the cessation of Earth's being. What a what a device. Yeah. What, the brilliant Dr. Wogan. Am Oops. I right? Uh Dr. Whoopsie. <laughs> uh, I think that is a good enough ending to, okay. to wrap us up on here. I don't know if there's anything like this falling in the wrong hands. I'm sure there's some of those. I don't see any if I just kind of scan through. You know, some of them are like escaping in different ways, it looks like. Um We get some we got another device to use. Yep. Nothing nothing's like, oh no, now they've got the, the nuclear weapons and they'll destroy or whatever. It just seems to be a lot of these kinds of of deals. So let's get super critical a little bit here. Dr. Wogan, right? So this whole plan, right, is that it's the year 2043. Rogue states and other non-state actors have had nuclear weapons for 40 years. Uh, Interesting timeline, right? Like, so in 2003, apparently, in this world, uh, this book written in 1987, there are 40 years of countries having nuclear weapons. I mean, in 87, 87, India had done a peaceful, quote-unquote, nuclear test. They haven't officially declared. Pakistan was probably close, but hasn't officially declared. Israel still remains a secret, but might have some sort of program at that point. China, Russia, the United States, UK, you know, France, uh, they've, got, they've got their bomb pretty official. So it's like a world of could get worse, but, you know, hasn't been that many since then. You know, North Korea has been largely the big one. North Korea, India, Pakistan. But in this world... Everyone seems to got them and are at least threatening them with it. So what's the whole plan, right, is that Dr. Wogan has this radiation neutralizer. It wasn't clear to me, and I want to get your read on it before I start to rant on stuff. Is it clear to you, like, removes radiation after a bomb explodes? Or is it one of those things that because, you know, in a chain reaction, a nuclear chain reaction, it's when uh, a neutron is separated from an atom that then goes and splits another atom of uranium or something, uranium or plutonium, that causes so many reactions, supercritical chain reaction, lots of energy release, that causes a nuclear explosion. Is it meant to say that a, a radiation neutralizer like prevents the physics of a bomb science from happening? Or is it a post-bomb, let's use this to zap up radiation so that we can survive without fallout? I wasn't clear about that. What is your read on this? I think now finally getting to some more of the other endings that, you know, seeing the brilliance of Dr. Wogan <laughs> and her small handheld devices, I would surmise that the radiation neutralizer would be some sort of device that could cast some form of protective effect over the holder of that device. And yeah. so I think that it would be like, just like the bullet's, lazily falling to the ground i think that that would kind of have a the explosive power of nukes would just fizzle and not have an effect that that's my interpretation based off of so the it, other would, it would prevent fission and fusion from happening that's what it neutralizes in terms of radiation it's not like a we will be able to a bomb will go off but the radiation will be minimalized right i feel like to have it be a true threat, you would ultimately face zero consequences from being attacked by nukes. Hmm. I mean, I would think that it would be more proactive than reactive, but um, it's hard to say. Hard to say, right? I, I think. What sort of range does it have? <laughs> like, is it, oh, 
you know, if if nations have it, well, nations are different sizes. How do they how do they control it? How does it ultimately protect them? You need one on every building. Right. Yeah. Very fascinating. Yeah. I mean, the book doesn't get into that obviously because it's for it's for kids and it's mostly interesting about interested about time travel and hypnotism and stuff. But uh, it is kind of interesting. It does seem you know, Doctor Wogan before. Of course, I had not read this book before we dived into it, so I didn't have like a ton of notes prepared except for the premise. But it did remind me of something. So Dr. Wogan's theory of let's build something that can we can share with the world so that it would prevent nuclear weapons from being a problem. Uh, so it's not like her intention isn't like, let's do this, and then now we'll have something that we can use to defend ourselves and still be an aggressor. It's like she's going to share this with the world. Yeah. Reminded me um, of a story that I remember hearing about Ronald Reagan. So, funny enough, also in 1987, Ronald Reagan, he got this idea, the Strategic Defense Initiative, which some people called Star Wars. It's a space-based system that would use a combination of, like, lasers and microwaves and kinetic kill vehicles and other stuff to shoot down ballistic missiles while they were in space flight. So, instead of them, a ballistic missile leaving Russia, going into space, uh, taking a, a path around the Earth, and then landing uh, on Washington, D.C., you know, the, the warheads. This would find those things and, and destroy them in flight. Reagan had this idea, we can build this thing, uh, maybe we could share it with the world. Uh, he believed missile defense worked. I'm someone who thinks that missile defense, well, theater missile defense, like the, the Aegis missile systems on a boat that can shoot down missiles when they're just leaving their launching stations. They're relatively slow. They're really bright because of how much heat's being generated. Missile defense that kind of shoots that down is pretty effective. Missiles defense that is trying to hit something while it's in space, traveling really, really fast, maybe with decoys, maybe without decoys, or trying to shoot things down in the terminal phase, which is the final phase. It mm. leaves Earth's space uh, or in orbit and tries to come down, the speed of which that's coming down is like pretty fast. <laughs> um, and to try to knock that down with a missile has not been proven effective so far. But Reagan believed we can figure it out. And if we figured it out, we can share this with the world. And maybe we don't need nuclear weapons anymore because why would they want to have them if you could shoot them down? So according to the book by Paul Ledow, which is called Ronald Reagan and His Quest to Abolish Nuclear Weapons in 1987... Again, when this book was published, Reagan asked his advisors during a policy meeting about arms negotiations with the Soviets. He said, quote, why not develop the idea of sharing strategic defense initiative technology, combine it with the total elimination of nuclear weapons, and do this through an international body? That way, strategic defense initiative technology could exist for everyone, not just for us and the Russians. No one would want or need nuclear weapons any longer. We could turn a page of history. His advisors told him that nukes keep the peace, and Reagan at that point at least said he wasn't too sure about that anymore. Fascinating. Hmm. Uh, I mean, missile defense had has never advanced to the point where it could do any of these things, but Reagan at least seemed to say, let's build this thing, and then let's share it with the world. And then his plan was that way we would know we would need nuclear weapons anymore. If you can shoot them down... Why would you have one? I suppose there's the, the counter-argument of, well, just because everybody has the information doesn't mean everybody has the manufacturing sure. capability and all of that stuff. But yeah. Or the fact that missiles can be delivered by airplanes and artillery and submarines and yeah any of those things uh, on a barge, um, anything, you, all that kind of fun stuff. I just was surprised uh, to remind myself of that story, hearing about what Dr. Wogan's plan was. Wogan? Reagan? Uh-oh. 
Hmm. Maybe there's something there. With that being said, Kevin, you and I kind of already started to talk about this. I still have some concerns about other parts of Dr. Wogan's plan. It's not clear how the science worked, right? So is this something... It seemed to me to be like it would remove the radiation from a bomb after it happened. Seemed to be kind of implying that it would like... it would slow radiation down so it wouldn't happen. But, of course, it doesn't do anything about all of the other awful things that a bomb does, like heat, explosion. Yeah. Of all the things that you're concerned about immediately with a nuclear bomb, radiation is pretty low on the list. Most of the time, these kind of larger megaton bombs, the distance that radiation, prompt radiation, will kill you is way within, like, it's way shorter than the fireball or the shockwave or any of the other stuff you need to be worried about. Uh, It's like the smaller bombs early on that had relative, re- relatively smaller shockwaves and explosions and fireballs that then radiation would be further away. Fallout sucks, for sure, but I guess this is implied that you wouldn't have to worry about that. Uh, but it is fascinating if it does shut off like nuclear chain reactions. You, know, you and I are both into The Expanse, and there's scenes in The Expanse where the, this some sort of alien thing is able to like change the way physics works, and it shuts off fusion tribes and how nuclear weapons work. So maybe that's what it is. But wow, that's kind of impressive um, because you have to dial in something like this radiation neutralizer really well because radiation is everywhere. You and I are being exposed to cosmic radiation right now. There's radiation in concrete. If you eat a banana, the human body, when you sleep next to someone in a bed, is giving off spontaneous radiation. It's all a matter of degrees. How much is that chemistry? Everything you can always, you can have some bad chemicals, but if you have a lot of it all at once, then it's really, really bad. So I'm really fascinated by how they're able to hone down and fine-tune exactly what kind of radiation this neutralizes. Uh, any thoughts on that one? Well, I mean, that going back to the story where the small handheld devices yeah. were able to control the physics of the surrounding space seemingly uncontrollably. At, uh, yeah, there's a dial indicator for level of power but i mean yeah i feel like something that could neutralize radiation as this device is alleged to do would have to would require substantial control and you and you brought up a good point earlier like how many of these neutralizers would we need around the world like around of just say us is it you need one per city do you need one per building do you need one per border area? It's pretty fascinating to think about this. I, I wonder, though, if I'm giving this all the credit it needs, I would love to see a story where then the next arms race is not to build new bombs, but it's to like disable the other side's neutralizers, to neutralize the neutralizers. So like having to then go in and find out where those uh, are, to destroy them, to steal them if one country has it and the other ones don't. That would be kind of a little interesting spy story so i would love to actually see maybe if you start with that premise that this thing works to then go and see well what does that mean in terms of espionage around the world later maybe instead of building your bomb and putting it on a missile you put the bomb inside some sort of like lead or a blocker that the neutralizer can't get past i don't know i'm adding conditions to it you're already trying to to beat the neutralizer Right, right, right. Or, yeah, conventional wars to de- destroy. I mean, it's kind of like those old video games where you have to go in and destroy the other side's shields first before you can, you know, invade to the city. So yeah. might be kind of those things. I'm not sure if the neutralizer stops things like, let's say you believed in um, electromagnetic pulse weapons, high-altitude detonations of nuclear weapons. Would that be able to be something that would shut off a neutralizer? If you mm. explode a nuclear weapon in space above the country, will that... Does it neutralize out that far? Who 
well, knows? It's, it seemingly could do anything, right? Dr. Woman Reagan seems to think that this is going to end the threat of nuclear weapons, so I would guess that all of that has been taken into account. So do you need just one neutralizer, and then everything mm. is neutralized? It's maybe, kind it's, of... maybe it is installed in the Earth's core. There we go. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, this is a silly kid's book, but it's, it's fun to, to think about. So what's interesting to me, it really is like, okay, well, if you're a child and you're reading this, you're learning a couple of things about nuclear weapons, right? That it seems like the main, major danger from nuclear weapons is radiation, which, you know, from a kid's perspective, yeah, I could see that because that's the thing you talk about. It's the difference between a nuclear bomb and a conventional bomb. One is, one, is, one is it's really, really big and different, but two is the radiation effects of that, the lingering poison, the lingering effects on, on populations that prevents people from being able to recover, you know, those kinds of, of things that we talk about in all of our other episodes. Like, this seems to really reinforce that as part of the story with with the book, right? Yeah. So uh, that that's really interesting to me. And, and um, also the idea of a scientist trying to find ways to find technical solutions to the world's nuclear bomb problem as opposed to solving it through peace and diplomacy and other stuff. It's like, no, it's just a technical solution, which is interesting given the fact that she also invents things that can be used as well to destroy. Like, I think like a terrorist criminal organization like this is mysterious group that's chasing us around would love any of the other devices that were in this person's right if anything those are better to sell than the other stuff because the other thing that you may like cause nuclear war uh if one side can just start firing missiles and be protected this other stuff like oh you can break into bank vaults and you can cause bullets to not matter anymore like that would be a pretty powerful tool so it seems like maybe it's one of those things scientists who build (laughs) The atomic bomb, later regret it and try to find technical solutions around it. I don't know. There's a lot in this story, it seems like, than just uh, the the base level that we're looking at now. Yeah, well, here's, I I feel like uh, in past episodes, you've discussed how nukes are kind of like the the end-all be-all weapon of just the knowing they exist and the threat that they pose is kind of a, like, well, it would be stupid to, to... try to uh you know work against the the will of the person who holds <laughs> the nuke well meanwhile in this story there's this tiny little device that blows up the entire planet <laughs> i mean how do you prove that that is a dangerous weapon before you know you can accurately threaten others i mean i feel like that tiny little device that we had in our pockets in the in the basement of the hotel cristo uh <laughs> i feel like that is a much, much bigger danger, yeah, yeah. much bigger threat than any of the nukes or the neutralizers. So how is that not uh, really the star of the show here? I, I don't know what um, what maybe R.A. Montgomery was trying to say with all of this, but it is definitely one of those situations where we think that one thing is the problem and then it turns out that something else is worse than the nuclear weapons, which is some somewhat pops up occasionally. Again, talking about the expanse, like that was yeah. one of the main things. The proto-molecule was definitely the bigger threat than, right. well, than, the, than the nukes that everybody seemed to have. So it's fun. It's a fun trope to play around with here. Do you think, you know, moving off of the nuke stuff and into our uh, parking lot movie discussion, instead of that, I guess it's more like the book club uh, <laughs> discussion where we talk about non-nuke stuff. Do you think, uh, do you like these kind of formats for these books and stories? Like when you read these as a kid, did you enjoy these or did you get like what we just did, which is... You get to an ending, and you're just like, oh, that's not satisfying. I'm going to go back again. And how many times do you do that before you just go, <laughs> well, now I'm just looking for all the endings, so can you just give me a Wikipedia list, please? 
Yeah, when I, back then, I don't think I was really a choose-your-own-adventure cheater. I wouldn't <laughs> cut through to the endings just to see her, how they... You wouldn't keep your thumbs on the pages? I, I didn't go through... No. Well, I mean, I might have uh, done that, but I mean, I wouldn't, like, just go from page one to page... What does this one have? You know, about 100, 110, 112 pages. I wouldn't just thumb through all of them and mm-hmm. just find the endings and read those. Would would you read through more than one ending? Like, would I'm you sure. read the first ending? And like, yeah, I guess that's it. Like when when there is a big decision to be made, like the instance of going to the fortune teller versus going to the fairy, yeah. something like that. I might have you know stuck my finger in, and then depending on how engaged I was on the story going forward, just kind of pull the thumb out and keep going for it and and whatnot. But um, I don't think I read every single ending and every single choose your own adventure that I read. But in this case, the uh, like the whole star of the show, radiation neutralizer, was a total red herring. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, insert any any device name here. The the flecular <laughs> drop dropomatic laser confusticator. I mean, I, I feel I, like you're complicated. Just fl- go flux capacitor. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Why not? Yeah, could have been flux capacitor. I, I mean. It was completely irrelevant, and then we later find that you know there are far more menacing devices that are just like, oh yeah, by the way, you pull this thing the size of a little, uh, uh, an old uh, Motorola razor out of your pocket, and suddenly the world explodes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's this is one of those that I, I, it's a kid's book, it's fun, but you're like, I've had this in my pocket, and there were so many times where I was kidnapped, or tied up, or whatever, and I just didn't. I had this in my hand the whole time. What about all the other times when, like, you were bound in a burlap sack or were in the back of the truck? Did they search you then? So I, it's it's a fun thing. Like, it, not all of the worlds actually, you know, matter. You know, in the sense, like, if you go one, one path and, and, and the doctor's there, like, you can't have all the other paths that be that she's not there. Yeah. So they play around with a little bit. They said, oh, she's able to use a motorboat to get back and forth and you distract it. Or, uh, it is fun. I mean, I was wondering, is there an ending that's missing that it's like they've got the neutralizer. Now they sold it to this group and here's what the world looks like afterwards. Right. Yeah, I feel like that's the main one that we didn't really get to experience. The one where good prevails and, you know, everybody survives and the world's a better place because of the brilliant Dr. Wogan. I'm curious if that exists. But, you know, when I was way younger, back in the 90s, I wasn't necessarily thinking about all of the possible globally satisfying endings that i could have experienced i just kind of went through it and then got distracted by the next choose your own adventure or the next uh goosebumps book or whatever well i I would say that the author if i had to throw some stuff at the author um i think ashley passed away might have passed away in like 2014 2013 i could see him saying that well that alien you know sitting far away and, and watching um all of a sudden earth disappearing um, that's something that may be the analog to the world ending due to a nuclear war. I want to throw something fun at you. Just a reminder myself here. The novelization to the movie Dr. Strangelove, hmm. which was written while the movie was being made. So it was like, you know, using initial ideas and script things and adding a few other things here and there, right? It wasn't made after the movie came out or anything. The original ending, which was written by um, Peter George, who is an RAF pilot, he wrote a book called, uh, what was it, Red Alert? When Stanley Stanley Kubrick read that book and said, oh, this is really interesting, I want to turn this into a movie, uh, I think it's a comedy. And at first, Peter George is like, what are you talking about? This was a very serious thing I wrote about the RAF and nuclear war and 
potential for accidents and stuff. And he's like, but it's absurd. Like, the world is absurd. If this is what we really believe in, let's treat it as if it is absurd. So they wrote a comedy, you know, based on that. The novelization of the movie, funny enough, the book also published by Bantham Books, which is who published this particular Choose Your Own Adventure story, ends very similarly to the the brilliant Dr. Wogan. Here, let me redo the ending. Epilogue. Though the little-known planet Earth, remotely situated in another galaxy, is admittedly of mere academic interest to us today, we have presented this quaint comedy of galactic prehistory as another in our series, The Dead Worlds of Antiquity. Like the end of AI. Yeah, so it's a kind of lot like that. So it's the idea like aliens and a UFO show up on Earth. They wonder what once lied here, you know, Ozymandias kind of style. Um, so it's kind of funny that in this, which would have, you know, Ari Montgomery would have, if he was into this, would have been able to read the novelization of Dr. Strangelove because it came out in the 60s and the 70s. Yeah. So I, I don't know if there's a connection there, but that is kind of a fun thing. Of the world ends maybe in the books. They can't have it be, oh, by the way, kids, he, adults don't have a grasp on how to deal with nuclear weapons. <laughs> I read a lot of stories about how you're supposed to talk to your kids about nuclear war, whether it's child psychologists or I have a book that's literally called um, Nobody Wants a Nuclear War, and it's a book to teach your kids. It's like a kid's book for nuclear dangers. And every one of them always says, you know, it, you talk to your kids and you say, it's dangerous. It could be bad, but people are trying and people are trying to work on it. And maybe you can help. Maybe you can be someone that can help here. So you don't want to scare someone to the point where they think it's impossible. So you have an ending of the book that's like, oh, you screwed up. The nuclear war happens and everything ends. So it's true. Try to get a sense of like, there are people like Dr. Wogan or others trying to deal with this. So maybe this is another one of those situations that the for the adults that read the books, for the 30-somethings that read the books, the alien ending of the magnetic reversal machine device thing, right, is is nuclear war, but it's it's uh, called something, it's tagged something different for the kids to be able to read. I don't know. I'm adding a lot to this little kid's book here, <laughs> but it is a very fascinating subject. How do you talk to your kids about nuclear war, particularly in the 80s when this was something that everybody was born and raised on uh today the danger is still there but we don't talk about it with our kids as much as we used to yeah well i mean the the one ending we're in when we're in the back of the van and picking up the the random book with the red leather uh yeah bookmark you know it's acknowledging very directly that we don't really know what's going to happen and you know anything's possible but i mean you know that's that might be a little bit that might be more for the 14-year-olds than the 7-year-olds <laughs> in the spectrum of choose-your-own-adventure readers. But yeah, it was interesting. Well, I'm going to keep this book. Uh, when my kid turns 7, I'll, I'll dust it off uh, and, and see if he wants to read it. And after that, I'll, I'll give him this podcast so he can listen to it and, and uh, see what Uncle Kevin thought about it, too. So <laughs> let's do our, our rating system here. Let's wrap up. So we're going to wrap up here. We're going to do our rating system. Normally, we rate everything out of 1 out of 5, right? Keep it consistent. One being the worst, five being terrific, but we like to tailor the rating system here, and based on the plot we just read, Kevin, you know what? I'm going to change things up a little bit here. What would you say the scale should be? One out of five what? Ooh. Uh, I'm I'm leaning toward uh, one out of five gas-filled knives. Oh, okay. Because obviously, uh, with only one gas-filled knife, you, you can get people to do what you want. You can... You can 
feel strongly about something, but if you had five gas-filled knives, you are high on life. You are <laughs> so happy. That was the best book that you ever read, and anything will brighten your day. I think that's, I think one out of five gas-filled knives. That's not a gas-filled knife. This is a gas-filled <laughs> knife. Oh, I've seen you play Knifey Spoony before. <laughs> All right, so how many gas-filled knives would you give the brilliant Dr. Wogan? Oh, yeah. This is this is where I gotta I gotta put my uh, my childhood beanie on and mm-hmm. uh, try to think of how I would have interpreted all of this back then. I think well, I was reading a lot back then, but what I was reading was probably age appropriate. It certainly wasn't nearly <laughs> as deep as Harry Potter or anything like that. I'm I'm leaning towards one and a half to two gas filled knives. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's it's easy for me to be critical or super critical of the. Yeah, uh, that's the name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> of the of the content and like the the plot gaps and the and all of that but i mean you know it's it, the, the novelty of choose your own adventure is really what what draws the young readers in and uh it makes you feel like you have a choice in the matter uh, you know i'll just go with two and a half gas filled oh. knives because the novelty of it really is where 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 it shines I'm going to go 1.5. I think there are better Choose Your Own Adventure stories. If you forced me to tell you one, I couldn't name it. But <laughs> I remember more that have like different endings or at least some. We, we played through a couple endings. I think we probably went through about 10. Okay. None of them yeah. except for that last one were really all that satisfying. That's like fair. All of the quote-unquote good endings. And I don't need a good ending, but all of the ones that were good endings... Which is like you getting away, but like I don't, I want to know what happened. They could have had a lot more choices here. I think there are better ones out there. And from a nuke perspective, um, I don't think that this teaches much about it, about the issues. But that's not really the point, right? But so I'm gonna give it a little bit of credit. But uh, 1.5 means it's probably not one of the best choose your own adventures. It's not of the whatever I said, 250 or 230 books they wrote. It's not in the top half, but that's okay. I mean, there are other ones that are out there, so I, I give a high rating to the genre, but maybe not to this particular that's fair. collection here. Because they're gas-filled knives, I will agree with you wholeheartedly that, you know, uh, that I think that you're, you're right, that the story itself was a little left some to be desired, but the, the genre is really what's carrying the weight here. If you if you held a gas-filled uh, knife to my throat and made me <laughs> pick something, I, I may be able to go too, but if it's a gas-filled knife across the table, I'm just going to say 1.5. That's fair. So let's listen to the podcast. Maybe you enjoyed this. I wish I would have thought more in advance and been able to give you a better choose-your-own-adventure story. I mean, there are just, there are just whatever. If you want to learn about nukes, you got this one. If you want to learn about, like, monsters or the abominable snowman or you want to do a spy movie or you want to do uh anything that's out there there's probably a choose your own adventure story about it i know they still are making them uh the company now instead of bantam books is called choose co but i do have some stuff that's somewhat similar i don't know about you in 2018 i really enjoyed the black mirror episode on netflix bandersnatch which is where basically a choose your own adventure story so close that it got sued um, by Bantam <laughs> Books and stuff. So they had to uh, change up a little bit, but um, or it had to settle anyways. But it's a, a, a movie that's a choose-your-own-adventure story, and it's a lot like this. There are some fun endings you can find. Many are unsatisfying, but I enjoyed the hell out of playing that. Um, so I recommend that. I recommend that book that I mentioned in the podcast, uh, Paul Leto's 2005 book, Ronald Reagan and His Quest to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. It's an interesting, maybe not complete, I wouldn't agree with all of the conclusions of it, but the it's well documented. 
you know, approach to as crazy as it was, Reagan at least had at some points some kind of perspective on wanting to get rid of nuclear weapons. We've talked about that before on the podcast, in particular on the, the, the day after TV movie episode about Reagan and how that movie maybe spooked him on nukes. But uh, the third one I want to recommend is a book by a fellow Tim, Timothy Jorgensen, a book called Strange Glow, The Story of Radiation from 2017. You read that and you will be very confused about how you can shut off radiation because the whole point of it is, is yeah, radiation is scary with nukes and other things, but it's also just kind of everywhere. So we have to understand it better in order to be able to deal with it. And it's it's anything from not just like the standard X-ray, nuclear bombs, nuclear energy, you know, Chernobyl, Fukushima, Three Mile Island, like that's scary radiation, but radiation also is everywhere. So a uh, great book. And it's also very accessible. It's a good one for people who aren't science people like me and are able to read it and understand it. So I really recommend that one a lot. Uh, Kevin, anything you've got to recommend to people on the show? Yeah, so I've got a few suggestions. Uh, one of my favorite books from high school uh, was actually A Last Babylon by Pat Frank, which was a Ooh. post-apocalyptic uh, North America sort of story. I want to say it was written in the nineteen, the late 1950s, early 1960s, and it's about survival after after the bombs drop and in what's left of uh, Florida, actually. Hmm. But, um, and I'm hoping that at some point, Tim and I will get to discuss this, and I think it'll be a great story to uh, to bring to the podcast. Before the end of the year, we'll get it done. <laughs> nice. Uh, just in, in general, another, another great book that I'd read more recently was The Radiation Girls by Kate Moore, mm -hmm. which is a... a in a very interesting nonfiction story about the effects of radium poisoning on the women who were painting dials for uh, wristwatches, pocket watches, and clocks during the uh, 1920s, 1910s, and 1920s. I, I'm sure you've mentioned that before. You've talked about yeah, that Yeah, I mean, so. I, I, I'm glad you mentioned it because I know one of your big hobbies is, is repairing watches. In things, so be careful uh, which one you lick. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I will certainly not be licking any brushes with uh, uh, radioactive loom on them. But uh, it was a great story. And, and in fact, uh, uh, late last year, I got to see a high school production of Radium Girls, huh. a local high school production. So there's, there's also, uh, that story's been taken to the stage. So uh, if you get a chance to read or see it, it's, it's great. Uh, and also terrible for the women who experienced mm -hmm. all of that. In more modern times, uh, I guess this is uh, the the less re less nuke related, but still very much interesting uh, in terms of choose your own adventure. Uh, there's a more recent app. I think it was, I I played it on uh, Google Play or from the Google Play Store, but it's called Fifty Seven Degrees North, hmm. and one of the novel. Uh, approaches for that game uh, as far as choose your own adventure you can you can choose your your directions that you go in the storyline it's very uh well illustrated uh very interesting uh but there's also an option to use your phone or your tablet's uh, built-in camera and a and an object called a merge cube which has different almost uh qr code-esque uh designs on each of the sides of the cube 
and the direction that you turn the cube is kind of the proxy for you choosing which way you go in the story. So that was pretty entertaining. There were lots of different uh, lots of different options in that. So call that the the modern day choose your own adventure. Um, I guess for the for the non Tims out there who are looking for young adult books or uh, <laughs> for for something for their kids to get into, I know that uh, after I graduated from the Goosebumps stories, I was uh, very much into the Redwall series by Brian Jakes, which was a a great fantasy story no no nukes involved but a story of more or less talking woodland creatures uh that lived in castles and and all of that and and they're a really great series for young teens and and other kids who are very into Mm -hmm. books um they were the equivalent of my they were my childhood equivalent of george rr martin books very thick and and dense but the way that brian jakes could describe uh eating pasties and other snacks other baked goods and things like that was just it it was great it was well done but uh yeah for for those looking for some different books and choose your own adventure styles and some more nuke stuff uh those would be my suggestions well thanks very much kevin i think people are going to enjoy those and i'm glad that you uh in your today's uh spending how you spent your saturday you decided to flip to the page where you came over to my house and recorded a podcast instead of Maybe whatever other page you might have went to, which could have ended, you know, horribly, right? <laughs> uh, you never know. Absolutely. I, I. Who knows? Did I? Did I leave my thumb in the page of before Kevin decided to hop in the car and drive over to Tim's? Kevin. Kevin stays at home. Uh, his dog explodes, uh, <laughs> sending radiation everywhere. <laughs> Aliens see from afar. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, well, Kevin, thanks very much for for stopping by. Absolutely, Tim. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Supercritical Podcast. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or you want to tell us what we got wrong, uh, you know, just thumb back a couple pages and we'll fix it. Uh, No problem there. We'll find a different path. This is how you can tell us. On Twitter, I'm at Nuclear Podcast. We also have a website, supercriticalpodcast.com, and an email account, supercriticalpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this has been Tim Westmeyer and Kevin. And remember, if it's pop culture and radioactive, we are bound to get super critical about it. Have a good one.